I mean, just because you gay doesn't mean that you, 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 you don't grow up with the same prejudices. Right. You grow up in the same society. Exactly. So I'd, I'd absorb the mad, the sad and the bad. And it's funny, you know, sometimes somebody who's perhaps not a very articulate speaker but speaks from the heart is compelling to listen to. Right. Compared to someone who's a very articulate, eloquent speaker who you kind of expect to. Suddenly seeing working class people out there on the street expressing themselves and being strong and you know London's a very kind of mixed city there's kind of both great wealth and there's great poverty here but what's great about something like the miners strike is suddenly working class people enter centre stage and normally that's the last place you see working class people hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better please make me I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Mike Jackson. Hello Mike. Hello. The first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? Um, We met at the occupation that the women involved in Focusy 15 did uh, over near Stratford Station. Yeah, I mean, and that was a real surprise to me to meet you there. Regular listeners to the show will have heard the episode, which which has already featured you on it a little bit. I was there, to, though, to show solidarity and, and record a podcast and, and see what I could do and volunteer. To, I was doing some stuff with young people uh, with the end of fives that day, and I was going to do a storytelling session, but we were bumped for you, which was fine. I'm, I'm very, <laughs> Sorry very No, that. no, no, I was, I was really pleased. In fact, a few people sort of came down to do storytelling with me, they were all really pleased to have the opportunity to hear your hear your speech. So right. they were very grateful. They were like, we, we don't mind not telling stories. We got to hear that amazing yeah. kind of story. Because you, know, you were telling the story of, 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 of your life experience, yeah. um, which is what, what sparked London, the, the group that I, we're going to do storytelling, is all about, like listening to people's true stories and yeah, their yeah, experience. Yeah. And the reason I was I was kind of amazed and excited to meet you is that your real life was fictionalised recently in the film Pride, uh, yeah. which I'd recently seen when I went to Focus E15. And mm. and Pride maybe is one of the films that I can think of in my life that's touched me the most, like the most profoundly. Certainly, you know, out of all of the... There's there's other UK films in the same ballpark, right? There's mm. there's Brassed Off and, and, and uh, I guess The Full Mon- Monty and things like that people talk about together. But... But Pride's the one that really... I mean, I like Brastoff, don't get me wrong. But, yeah. but Pride really just hit me everywhere that can feel. Yeah. <laughs> and, and every kind of emotion, you know, came yeah. out. Yeah. Um, it's very well written. And uh, uh, I mean, I think in contrast to Pride, Brastoff and Billy Elliot and Full Monty yeah. are, are actually not based on real life events and people, whereas right. Pride obviously is. Yeah. Um, it's a movie. Stephen Beresford, the writer, always made it very clear right from the beginning when we met. I first met him in February 2011. He made it clear that it's it will contain fictional characters and, and events because it's a movie. You know, yeah. It has to. You know, we existed for a year, our support group, to support the striking coal miners. And obviously you can't do a documentary or a movie that lasts a year right. to reflect the truth. And so some of the, some of the characters are completely made up. Other characters are composited between you know different real people. 
And then a few of us, it's more or less as is. So my character, Mark Ashton's character, Sean's character, are actually more or less tr- true to life. So I'm told, I mean, it's very odd when people say to you, do you think so-and-so acted you well? Because right. how do you know what you come across like to other people having a bloody clue? No, that that's that's <laughs> funny as well, because, yeah, when I met you, I, 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 you know, you're not the actor, obviously, that yeah. played you, because uh, he's you know he's a different age and all of that, and you you know you but you look very similar in some ways, and certainly personality wise, it it did feel like I was talking to the, the older version of the person that I'd seen in the film, and there was sort of, oh, sort of strange feelings. Well, that that's that's <laughs> testimony to uh, the Joe Gilgan who plays Mike in the movie. That's testament to his acting skills because he's nothing like that. Right. He he describes himself as a gobshite. Right. <laughs> And he has got a lot to say, and he's you know he's he's a bit wild and 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 stuff. Whereas my character's a bit more quiet and and reflective, I suppose. Right. I mean, he did. Pay, yeah. I mean, I've seen him in in other things before. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is England, for example. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so, and yeah, he he did play a very different kind of character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, so, Pride's come out this year. Yeah. You know what is what's that been like? It's been fantastic. If I take you back a bit, really. Yeah. So there was the big British miners' strike in uh, the mid-1980s. And for people who listen to this who, who don't really know that much about it, one of the things that the Thatcher government did at the time was they froze the assets of the National Union. I, I think that's just outrageous, but yeah, there you go. That's, yeah. that's them. Uh, so the stri- striking coal miners who'd paid in their money to their unions strike fund couldn't actually call on the strike fund because Thatcher, the Thatcher government froze it, sequestered it, it's referred to, uh, by a company, by the way, called Price Waterhouse Cooper. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, just to be noted, that one. Um, and so the poor old mining families, were, were, were the, they were being starved back to work, essentially. So what the both the mining communities and the official NUM said to all the supporters around the world because I mean it was such a big thing the miners strike I mean there were, there were miners in Australia South Africa and France sending money and, and food over you know to support them yeah. so they put a big call out for anybody who supported the the, mi- the striking miners to twin with different mining communities and that's what started to happen and in res- retrospect you know I, I think the Thatcher government shot itself in the foot with that actually because Instead of putting money into the big coffers of one huge union, twinning meant you were creating incredibly close bonds between your supporters and and the mining communities. You know, which was far more powerful because genuine friendships came out of that, which I don't think would have happened if you'd have been just putting money in some big pots of the NUM. So basically we, we, we... were a group of uh, kind of fairly radical young lesbians and gays in London. There was the miners' strike. The Thatcher government had got into its second term in office, and we were heartily sick of them and wanted to get rid of them. Um, and we knew that when she was picking on the miners, that this was about attacking trade unionism itself. That that the story that the Thatcherites gave was that. Uh, it's about closing pits because they're uneconomic, but that was actually just that was just such a lie, really. This was about trying to strike a very serious blow 
to the power of the trade union movement and they succeeded in doing yeah, that sadly did, yeah. uh, but we knew that at the time we knew how important it was and I think millions of people did and I mean it was fantastic it was almost like a civil war especially places like London I mean obviously in the mining communities themselves with the exceptions of places like, like Nottinghamshire it was solid everybody on, on strike solid but London was quite interesting because the nearest pits to London were, were in Kent 70 odd miles away and so it can completely split London into two, you know, pro-miner or anti-miner. Right. Um, which is really interesting. You can gather from my accent, I, I'm a northerner originally. And it was really quite sweet for me just walking around the streets of London hearing all these Yorkshire miners or Lancashire miners or Scottish miners, you know, shouting, support the miners, coal not dole, dig deep for the miners. And it was just so lovely kind of going round and suddenly seeing working class people out there on the street expressing themselves and being strong and you know London's a very kind of mixed city there's kind of both great wealth and there's great poverty here but what's great about something like the miners strike is suddenly working class people enter centre stage and normally that's the last place you see working class people right. for all sorts of weird and wonderful complex reasons partly of our own making but partly because of the the, the you know the powers of the people who, 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 the ruling class essentially and suddenly to see ordinary working class people there centre stage taking over is just fantastic and it's it's empowering and it's a different kind of power because it's not people who are your traditional inheritors of power like you would be if you went to you know the kind of route that the ruling class go down Eton, Oxbridge etc etc they're kind of born into privileged people like that and they're born into self-confidence because of all that right, the, sure. everything around them in life has given them every reason to be supremely self-confident and conversely the poorer you are the less self-confident you are in the main unless you're extraordinarily exceptional individual and that is very very damaging to, to our people uh, in all sorts of ways, personally damaging because it, it disempowers you, and it's politically damaging because it, it means that we we can't move. Suddenly, a situation like the mine strike or the Focus E15 campaign, yeah. working class people are in the limelight have to do something. And what's brilliant is we do it in completely different ways that that traditional inherit, inheritors of power do it right. because we haven't got that same cultural background and there's something about that that's like really really astonishing really because people just develop skills of, of, of speaking skills cleverness wits, humour it all just comes out and it's just so fertile that experience I mean after the minor strike there was a second smaller wave of pit closures in 93-94 and I just by sheer coincidence was living up in a mining community in Lancashire at the time so I pitched in and got that's a sequel to the Pride movie by the way is that one I got pitched in with the miners this time rather than supporting a group of Welsh miners from London I was actually embedded in their community got up to all sorts of no good which was good fun uh, <laughs> but like I said just that ingenuity of people just just the things that people think of and little schemes and ideas yeah. you just realise 
actually, I mean, not that we ever had any doubt about it, but working class people are just as intelligent and capable and able as anyone. What they're not given is the opportunity, in whatever way that affords itself, to demonstrate that. But God, when the chocks are out, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're brilliant. And I mean, one of the things that appeals to me about the Pride movie and and about the real life events that it's, it's based on is... I mean, I, I'm. I guess you could call me middle class, right? I, my mum was yes. a. My mum was a. Yeah. Well, I mean, it matters. But I mean, uh, but my mum was a social worker. My dad was well. Most of my life retired, but before that, a documentary filmmaker, uh, for the coal board. Interestingly okay. enough, as I sort of, I think I said to you before. So he had a. He he was documenting those mining communities, and he has a very strong sense of anger with the Thatcher government. He saw the communities. Get, getting killed he, yes. he saw the brilliant solidarity that came together and then he saw what happened after mm. um, but one of the things that I connect with around these things is in school I was uh, quite I, I moved from England to Wales to Cardiff and uh, had a difficult family life going on uh, and so I sort of came as a as an Englishman in Wales, an English boy, 12, uh, when everybody had already made their friends. I came into a secondary school the year after. Uh, I was isolated already because I was English in Wales, which I'm not saying that I'm not saying I don't understand the anger of the Welsh against the English. But, yeah. you know, I was a 12 year old boy. So I, I was quite bullied at school, quite isolated. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the bullying, a lot of the the abusive situations I was in at school um, were, were centred around homophobia. Mm. Even though I'm straight, uh, yeah. I was read as gay, you know, yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm effeminate in some ways in their in their eyes. Whatever, nice. I'm I'm comfortable with it now, you know. Yeah. Um, but the people who had my back in the end, the people who had the solidarity in the school in the end, were the working class community. Uh, were you know were working class kids? Like I spent a lot of my time in a in a growing up in a council estate in Ely, playing computer games with my working class friends. Mm. Um, and, you know, they were intelligent, they were, they were supportive, they were loving, they were all the things that, that, mm. that we're told that, that, that working class people aren't. And I'm not saying that bullies weren't working class people too, they, yeah. they, they were, yeah. although homophobia is one of those things that, that unites people across the classes in some ways. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but yeah, or, or any kind of othering bullying. But that's what, that's what I like about the film is, is that the kind of, different kinds of outcasts of different kinds yes, of minority yes, groups yeah. came together in that way and supported each other even when they initially had because you know in fact you know the, the kids who I became friends with who kind of saved me in some ways they did start off slightly bullying me yeah. like they they learned themselves they came to a you know they came around from a position of being taught that they should be mean to me but realizing they shouldn't yeah um, and it was a similar thing in the film and I, I i imagine in the in the life experience but i mean i don't no, know absolutely absolutely yeah yeah i mean i i've always said that, that there's there's two types of homophobia and stephen barrister expresses this beautifully he would he's a writer <laughs> <laughs> he says prejudice cannot withstand proximity and i think that's so clever that and it's so true and in a sense when we twinned with that mining community in South Wales, and it was a very traditional mining community as well, I mean, it was just mining, there's no other industry. Most of us, because we'd been activists, we were kind kind of used to dealing with homophobia. And nine times out of ten, once people actually met you and spoke to you, 
they realised actually there was nothing there. Right. That you, you don't eat babies for breakfast. You haven't got two heads. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You fart just like anybody else. Sure. You get pissed like anybody else does. And whatever. Do you know what I mean? And that, to this day, that's always been my life's experience. So that's the kind of prejudice that's really comes about simply through misinformation and ignorance. Yeah. And as Stephen says, the the proximity, actually meeting people, all that just disappears almost instantly. You do, however, get a really, really tiny number of people who are toxically homophobic. And I have never, ever met one of those. They're nearly always men. I've never met one of them where I've not thought... Oh, darling, what is the problem? Right. You're giving so much away. Because all my straight friends, who are happy and healthy straight friends, male friends, don't give a sod about my sexuality because it's nothing to do with them. They don't care about it. They're neither against it nor for it. It's just, that's what it is. You're gay. End of. So, anybody who's eaten up by it, you just have to think, well, what's going on inside you, pal? Why are you so... Internally, so deeply distressed by this, you, you're giving something away, and I just think that it's self hatred basically. The queers who just haven't actually been able to reconcile it, yeah. That's, um, that's my opinion, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt there's a big strand of that in, yeah. in, in, in homophobia for sure. Yeah. Although, I mean, it, all of these things are always more slight, slightly more complicated, than yes. That. I mean, course. I'm sure there's there's embittered uh homophobes who, who are. Have have rage for other reasons. Yes, you know yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. just just That's as you've true. got your embittered race, you know, racists yeah. or yeah. Uh, or sexists or any of these things. I yeah. mean, a lot of these. I don't know where they come. You know, they. Uh, but a lot of them come from the fear of yeah. something inside you that isn't male or yeah. like isn't yeah. some so isn't traditionally male. This this idea that you might have feelings yeah. and all of these things. I feel like that's a big reason why people put the barriers up and and hate and just have hate coming out yeah. there. Yeah. And it's so divisive, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? All this kind of stuff, it, it serves to divide us. I mean, you, you, we were talking about class a while ago. It, 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 uh, it, it, it is and it isn't complex, the whole idea of class. I mean, I'm a kind of raging kind of Marxist, really. And as far as I'm concerned, the world is simply capital versus labour. Yeah, level. that's my view too. Yeah. I mean, although I come and from in, a slightly it, more anarchist side of things, that's how I see well, it, two I'm, classes, I'm right? also a bit anarchistic as well. I'm not an <laughs> orthodox person by any means. Um, but on that level, there's there's really only two classes. There's the people who own capital, yep. significantly own it, and the rest of us, and really kind of whether you're middle class or working class, really in that respect isn't as important as the fact that your interests are diametrically opposed to the interests of, of, of the people who own the great wealth and own the means of production, whatever. And that, depending on history, that, that kind of fluctuates all the time. So when times are good, what tends to happen, from what I can see, is that the middle classes and working classes start to separate a bit and they start to differentiate again. When times are hard the middle classes start to get a lot more sympathetic with the working classes right. and vice versa. And this is classically what's happening at the moment. In London, the middle classes are really getting squeezed because their kids can't afford to live in London. Yeah, The kids are getting into massive debt because suddenly you've got fees to pay because working class kids, that's easy. They're just excluded completely. Right. <laughs> so you're getting this realignment at the moment, I think, where kind of, 
you know, middle class people are much more swinging left and much more sympathetic to the struggles that working class people are going through. And the rich Tories are doing what they normally do. They've got into an absolute feeding frenzy and they forget that we live in a democracy. And they carry on with that feeding frenzy and then they get suddenly booted out of office because everybody's had enough of them. And I'm hoping that's coming up soon because what they're doing now is so... I mean, Thatcherism sounds like something benign compared to... That's the amazing thing. I I didn't think it could get worse. Yeah, it's just... Mind you, it's it's only a continuation of the whole thing. I mean, we didn't have concepts like neoliberal or neocons 30 years ago because we hadn't actually developed our ideas sufficiently to understand what was going on. We just hated Thatcher and all that she stood for and knew that she just lied constantly, like, there is no alternative. Sod off, of course there's an alternative, do you know what I mean? But now, in in retrospect, we can work out exactly what's gone on. And it's very difficult, I think, for people to understand because it's quite complicated. But it's this started decades and decades and decades ago. It started in the 1930s with, a, I think he was an Austrian philosopher called Van Hayek. And one of his disciples was Milton Friedman in the 1970s. And it has been a global... I, I, I never know what conspiracy theory is meant to... to, to to, to, to mean really because it, it you know well it's not a theory if it's a reality well exactly this this is a well orchestrated theoretical practice that's been put into in, into real practice so that's what they've been doing and, and none of them and, are denying that they've been doing that yeah, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. not like anybody's absolutely. been pretending that they're not yeah, being yeah. neocons no but, but because they ultimately know that that actually the vast majority of people will not benefit from this. It's been really important that they constantly saturate the media with their spin, saying, oh, it's about freedom is all this. Well, yeah, it's freedom for the stinking rich, but not for the rest of us. And, you know, they've rolled back the state. They privatise almost everything that moves. And they've really attacked democracy enormously, and it's time now for us to take it all back again. You know, we're going to be fighting the same fights. Tony Ben said every generation fights the fight, same fights time and again. Yeah. And we have to be ready to do it. But I do think we move on a bit when, you know, we get two steps forwards and one step backwards. But when we move forwards again, it's with more hindsight. We do learn from history. So, for example, kind of, you know, up to what, let's say, 30, 40 years ago, the labour movement and the left was rife with sexism and racism and homophobia. And that's really been addressed by our movement now. And I'm really proud of our movements in terms of its, you know, it's far more inclusive than it ever used to be. And that empowers it further, because if you've got people who are being excluded because of your own internal prejudices, then you're not as strong as you should be, because some people are missing. Right. And as long as you've got the women in there, and BAM community and lesbians and gays or whatever, then you've got your numbers back again. So you've you've strengthened yourself. Um, I've just started reading Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything. And, uh, God, it's depressing reading this kind of stuff, but it needs to be read because it's very important. And I think she's absolutely right that the, that the neocons are terrified of the, of, of the environmental movement because the only solution 
is to go down a more inclusive, socialistic economic route right. than, than what they stand for, because they stand for complete deregulation. Well, you can't do that. If you, if you want to save the planet, and we have to save the planet, that's got to be the biggest priority, then I'm afraid you have to regulate everything. You have to regulate energy supply, consumption, etc., etc. And they know that. They absolutely know that. But they're such lunatics and they're so reckless they'll carry on going and going and going until we stop them. We'll never be able to persuade them that somehow in a nice, affable way that we're right and they're wrong. We have to actually stop them. We actually actually just get in there and by any means necessary stop them because where they're taking us to is, is a road of no return. It's yeah. I mean, that's that's entirely... Yeah, I, I entirely agree with that. I mean, the, the, the only thing I'd, I'd say on that is I, I think we have probably gone a few steps forward and, and we are more inclusive maybe... Uh, within the left but we're we're not we're not there yet oh, even God, within no. the left you no, know no. there's still a hell of a lot of 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 you know white privileged guys uh telling everybody else how to how to do it and uh but but it's it's definitely i think one of the things the internet has offered us is this is that it's more d- democratized and that there's more opportunities for every voice to be heard for yes. every voice yeah. to yeah. be to yeah. be to, so now now the left where it has got its where it has still got these bastions of kind of privilege, they're not uncriticised yes, from within quite, their own movement. Well, and that's well, something that, that didn't exist so much, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, actually, the trade union movement now, the majority of trade unionists, just slightly, are, are female. So I think 51% Brilliant. of trade unionists yeah. are female. Now, clearly, things don't change overnight, but once you've got numbers like that, then it is going to have a, a, a knock-on effect in terms of encroaching into those kind of bastions of power and, and, and so forth. We've got uh, Francis O'Grady, the first female general secretary of the, of the TUC. So by increments, we're, yeah. we're, we're getting there. And I that's mean, great. And that's kind of what Pride's about for me. I mean, because another term that we didn't, re- that wasn't, well, I think it, people had, people were using it, but it wasn't uh, as commonplace uh, that, that that we have now uh, to describe the politics of, of that's going on is uh, inter- intersectional mm. uh, analysis of, of of stuff, and I mean that came from black feminists mm. originally, mm. but it's it's all through Pride for me to me. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it you know that 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 gay and lesbian people and working class people are coming together across these different different axes of prejudice because you know it's it's I mean I I can't I can't speak on this really but I'm going to anyway I mean it's it's not it's not the same kind of prejudice uh to be to be discriminated against uh for being gay uh as it is uh to be discriminated against for being working class but Mm. there are similar there are so many similarities Mm. and there is an opportunity for empathy across those across those across those divides I think yeah yeah I mean that's your life rather than that's my theory And of course, you, you're not you're not gay in a vacuum. I mean, you're gay right. in your working class, right. or you're gay in your middle class. Well, that's what it that's what it yeah. is to be intersectional, right? Yeah, that, absolutely. That you're, you're, yeah, absolutely. all of these different. And things. I mean, within LGSM, within lesbians and gay sport, the minors, we we did occasionally have personal spats right. around class issues because there were kind of people from quite rough, tough working class backgrounds in the group. And there were people who were from fairly privileged backgrounds sure. in the group. Because, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's percentage of everybody is gay. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, but, of course, the mining communities, almost by definition, was a working class community. So when we went down to visit the miners, I mean, when I, I don't know, what, time, what age did you start drinking? Let's say from, from the age of 14, 15, 
you know, I, I, I was drinking and certainly on my 17th birthday I was down in a working men's club with my family up in Lancashire. So I was very used to that kind of milieu. Uh, so when we made our first visit down to South Wales to stay with the mining families and stay in their homes and go out for drinks with them, the miners' welfare was just like a Lancashire working men's club to me. Yeah, right. I'm just so used to it. Whereas I think the kind of people who come from more middle-class backgrounds in LGSM had never experienced anything like that, and they were sometimes a little bit out of the depth in, in, in that, just because it was a bit alien. For sure, them, really. yeah. yeah. One of the things I liked about Pride was, well, St- Stephen Barris, when he first completed his first draft, came round to see me and said, I've finished my first draft, and do you know one of the things I'm really proud about? I think I've written the first movie that's largely about gay men, and sex doesn't come into it at all. And I said, hallelujah, thank God for that. <laughs> because, you know, often in the media, you know, gay people are sexualised. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. a way that's just totally gratuitous. Yeah. yeah. Um, you get celibate gay men, you get randy gay men, you get every yeah. type of gay man sexually as right. you do heterosexual people. It's, it's crazy. So that was nice. And the other thing that was nice about it was the gay characters in Pride are all different. They've all got full personalities. And it does straddle class. I mean, Freddie Fox plays um, a guy called Jeff in the movie. And when they're looking for a coal field to support, Freddie is given the road Atlas of Britain first, and he's flicking through the pages, and he says something like, I can't remember the area, I think he said, how about Sunderland? That, that's industrial, isn't it? And he pulls a funny face like, yuck. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? yeah. And I think that's really quite comical, really, yeah. you know, because it's like, yes, well, he's a posh lad. He comes from probably somewhere like Cobham in Surrey, which is all very pretty. Yeah. And, and industrial working class areas are ugly by definition. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They were smelly, they were smoky, they were dirty. And I just like that little subtle thing where he, he does that. And then at another point as well, that same character says, and he's a gay man in the, in the movie, he says... Oh, God, here come the gay libbers. Now, very few of the viewing audience will get that. The only people who really get that is kind of people like right. me, kind of quite deeply embedded into gay politics. And there is always this bit of a conflict between kind of the gay liberationist elements of the political gay community and the kind of socialist elements of the LGBT community. So even within our community, there right. was a, a little bit of... Yeah, well, no community is homogenous. Every, Abs- every, absolutely. It, it contains all sorts absolutely. of opinions. And, that, and, that's, and within a democracy, that, that's what's healthy about it right. as well, because they actually feed each other, really. And I like all that, that kind of subtlety that Stephen's put in there to kind of give everybody... A kind of yeah, a, a, a complete round personality. I mean, and there is another sec- intersection at play as well in Pride, and you know, is is that that one of the things that the mining uh, stri- mining strikes did to those communities in some ways was to empower women uh, in a different way than before to get involved in the actual kind of sort of sorting things out. You know, tell me about you it. Know, that, and, and they did. That was fantastic. You know. <laughs> I mean, some of that came about because. When miners were arrested on picket lines, which 99% of the time the charges were dropped because they were arrested for very spurious reasons, it was just really to to frighten them and to get them off the streets. But what was really nasty about that was if the if British coal found out uh, that they'd been arrested, a lot of them were getting sacked. 
so ipso facto they lost the job yeah. now that is serious so you know okay the police picked them up the charges are dropped so no case to answer but you've lost your job so in the end the women started going on picket lines sometimes instead of the men folk because the women of course couldn't be sacked because they weren't employed by, by, by the coal board and that multiplied by a factor of thousands do you know what I mean just had this incredible empowering effect on, on the women and they were going off kind of speaking at rallies you know requests for speakers and I met so many women who, who they'd never done stuff like that before but they had to do it because that you know if they were going to rely on getting support from people and bringing uh, donations in then they had to go and speak to meetings you right. know? so it meant them travelling all over the country uh, and just standing up to the place and getting up there and a lot of time you know that lack of self confidence uh, because of necessity people were getting up to speak and it's funny you know sometimes somebody who's perhaps not a very articulate speaker but speaks from the heart is compelling to listen to right compared to someone who's a very articulate eloquent speaker who you kind of expect it yeah know? well i mean i find that on a completely non-political level uh, when people come to the sparkland and storytelling event yes I bet. you know the, yeah. the general public and they you know the people who i respond to the most are, are, are not necessarily the most eloquent they're the ones who really feel what they're talking yeah. about you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, amazing we um the the area that we supported it was actually three valleys, the Neath, Swansea and Delice River valleys. So the mining community was scattered and there wasn't just one big pit with a big town. It was actually lots of quite small pits with lots of small pit villages. And so one of their problems that they had was actually getting food and firewood around to the different pit villages because obviously the coal board were not supplying them with coal anymore so they got no heating. And it, it was quite rough and difficult terrain. And their minibus eventually kind of fell to pieces, basically. And so they they asked if they could buy a minibus with the money that we'd given them. And we kind of shrugged our shoulders as if to say, well, you'd spend that money however you want, not up to us. Uh, and would we mind if they emblazoned on the doors of it, donated by Lesbians and Gay Support the Miners London, and the Pink Triangle which if people who don't know about that, the Pink Triangle was the uh, badge that was sewn onto the Holocaust homosexuals in, in Nazi Germany. So the Jews had a yellow star of David and the, the homosexuals had an upside-down Pink Triangle. And asking us permission if they can put that on the side of, 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 of the doors of the van, just like, we, of course, we just went, no, you, you can do that, that's fine. <laughs> and it was great because they, what they'd recognised is that... If there's one thing that gays needed, really, was visibility and identity. And right. so by sharing our identity like that, they were giving us a gift, really, um, yeah. of, of solidarity. And indeed, miners actually used to go on picket lines and be wearing our badges on, on the lapels, you know. And, and that would clearly invoke conversations with miners who didn't know anything about the existence of our group and... And yeah. Then, yeah, and it was incredible during the strike that that it, you know this is the days before mobile phones, obviously. In a situation like that, as 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 dire as that, 
there's a kind of jungle drums things communications speed up somehow time changes really and you need to know who your friends and who your enemies are that becomes obviously very important now if you think about lesbians gay support the miners compared with the entire trade union movement and the labor movement throughout the world we played a tiny little part in it mm. you know adopting this little village in this little community in south wales but our reputation swept through the coal fields, and you know, I, I met miners from all over Britain who went, Oh, I, I heard about your group, yeah, 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 you know, because here's a new friend, here's a new group of people who are supporting us. And, and uh, as I say, that that just goes around like jungle drums, yeah, who's right and who's wrong, who's supporting us, who's not, who do we believe, who don't we believe, right? Yeah, yeah, very exciting. The moment that you had that year that you, that you had. Eventually, you know, it you stopped. You stopped with that particular activist yeah. g- group, partially because of the what was happening actually for the miners more than yeah than anything yeah. else. Well, the, the, we were actually down in Wales with them uh, the weekend the return to work was announced. Uh, it was very sad. The Welsh miners didn't want to go back because they were still so solid, but they had to kind of accede to the national unions. Uh, decision and it was a close call it was about 50 40 something like that so that was the 4th 5th of march 1985 and i've just been looking at lgsm's uh, old papers you know the minutes of meetings recently and and we stopped meeting about a month after that there was still a bit of a need to collect money because there were the saxon jail miners of course who needed some support and then we didn't meet again after the 14th of April until sometime in July when we formally wound the group up. And then people went the different ways, really, uh, which is understandable. We, we did have a discussion about whether we should somehow keep the group going because it had achieved so much. But really, it was about supporting the miners. And right. The miners had lost, and, and you know this, that was that. People did form little other LGS groups, as it were. So the print workers... There was a terrible whopping dispute where the print workers came out to defend their jobs and communities. And so you had lesbians, gays support the print workers. The ambulance workers went on strike and you had lesbians, gays uh, support the ambulance workers. Uh, The seafarers came out on strike and you had the rather unfortunately named lesbians, gays support the seamen. Oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then there was uh, the trade unionists against Section 28, uh, which again was some of our guys trying to carry on the kind of fight against Thatcher's uh, Section 28. Right. But eventually it, it, it all did fritter away. Then the movie came up and we reformed. So, what, you've, so you say you yep, reformed yep. now? Uh, two or three weeks ago we, we, we reformed. Partly because we want to create a, 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 a historical legacy site about what we achieved back then. Yeah. Um, because the movie's great, we're obviously thrilled to bits with that, but it, it's not historically... No, no, no. Meant to be, not, not even meant to be the truth. Yeah, it's fictionalised. There's yeah. some characters that are yeah. completely fictional, etc, etc. Et so, so we want to create a, a website. All donations welcome. <laughs> um, to, for that, so we'd love photographs, you know, copies of the minutes and interviews with people. Hopefully, interviews with the actors who played our respective parts in the movie. 
there's a documentary come out as well called uh, Still the Enemy Within, which is brilliant. I mean, right, I've heard it? about it. I haven't seen it yet. Go see gonna... it. Go see it. That is a documentary. And what's brilliant about Still the Enemy Within, it's told by miners, or perhaps I should say ex-miners nowadays, miners' wives, i.e. women against pit closures, and people like myself who supported them. Nobody else. There's no external narrative voice coming in and telling nice. you how to think and how to interpret. Mm. It's told, it's our story told from our point of view, and it's angry, it's seethingly angry. But what I think is really clever, I've seen it about three times now, is it's very easy to create something like that where people come out feeling despairing and hopeless, you know. And both Pride as a movie and Still the Enemy Within as a documentary, you don't. You come out feeling actually empowered mm. and, and eager to do something. Yeah, that, that's really skillful. I yeah, because it's not feel good. No, like you don't come. You don't not. come out going. You know, like oh, I feel good now. You feel come out angry, sad. You know, but yeah. with some hope as well that, because you've it. seen what people can do if yes, they if they, if they pull together. And, yeah, and, and that's that's what it's about, really. Yeah. And so, I mean, so when when you started uh, lesbians and gays get, uh, support the miners, I keep nearly saying everybody against the does miners. that. Yeah. Um, the, you know, you, you'd already you'd already you were already an activist, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, but again, the miners that was such a big thing that some people who joined LGSM had never been involved in politics before, right? So it was a mixture, clearly the first people would be attracted to form an organisation like that would be the people who've got a kind of political yeah, sure. experience. Um, but what was really exciting was the number of people who just got involved, who'd never been involved in politics right. before. And they sometimes turn out to be the best comrades going. For sure, because they haven't got the same, like, they, yeah. they, they, they come in completely from outside the box, yeah. so they can yeah. kind yeah. of come up with interesting yeah. new approaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, not necessarily coming from a shared ideology, you know, um, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, but Reggie, who's featured in the, in the movie, said that they came out of a sense of natural justice. They just felt it was completely unjust what, what the Thatcher government were doing to the miners. Which, I mean, as a socialist, you feel that as well. Yeah. Right? There would be no point in you having your socialism if you didn't feel feel that too. Right, but there's a kind of more more liberal kind of uh, a better form of capitalism, which is just, or there's changing fundamentally. Uh, yes, And so exactly. those are the different yeah, points those, that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> that has to be seen, hasn't it, really? <laughs> right. All I know is I want to get rid of capitalism because <laughs> it's just destructive to the planet and to humanity. Right. I mean that's that that's my my view too. Yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> as long as we're doing that, especially if we do it with sustaining the planet in mind, we're going to get to what I would have once called socialism. I don't care about a name anymore. Yeah. As long as we get there, as as long as we move away from exploitation of both people and the planet, move away from greed, move towards collective self-helping you know modes rather than this kind of greedy me 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 society which is what neoliberalism is all about then we're going to get to a society that's kind of worth living in really yeah I mean, and that can sure. happen so quickly that that's what i find exciting I, I i do think people are terribly despairing because 
we have had 30, 40 years of constant right-wing propaganda telling us that there's no alternative, that this is the only way the world can be. And there's people like me thinking, no, you're lying. So, um, <laughs> it's not. The world can be right. anything we want it to. We just need an opportunity. But if you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, eventually you can actually break through. And things can change incredibly quickly. And that's why the ruling class, you know, they watch these things. No wonder they surveil us, because they have to. Well, they because... also try and turn us against each other. Yeah, right? absolutely. We're all supposed to be blaming uh, immigrants, immigrants or, you know, or, yeah. or, you, know th- yeah. you know, any of the intersections yeah. of, 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 of oppression. That's where we're supposed to blame people yeah. from them, those groups. And, that's, yeah. you know, they're clearly not to blame. Right? Yes. It's, quite, clear, quite. it's clear that the, the group to blame are, you know, rich white men. Right. They're yeah. the, the biggest problem. But, yeah. we're, but we're supposed to turn our, our anger on the opposite. Yes, you know? absolutely. Is, and they played that game. They know how to play that game, the ruling class. They've always played that game. And we've got to be savvy enough not to not to fall for it, but right. to actually you know, turn to support each other. I'll give you a little example of that. In in Wales, when we first visited them, our host said, Oh, see that little row of uh, Terry Stosin up there? That's called Spanish Roll that locally. It wasn't actually called that. It's like Milner Terrace or something like that. But it, the nickname for it was Spanish Row. And I said, oh, what, what's that about? And what happened was at the turn, just at the early parts of the 20th century, 1910, something like that, when the coal mines were still very much in private hands, the mine owners recruited, drafted in some cheap Spanish labour miners from Spain to try and undercut the wages of Welsh miners. Right. Yeah. And the Welsh miners clearly initially were, were quite prejudiced about this immigrant workforce, but it didn't last very long because what the, what the private mine company had done, not realising it, is they brought in some of the most militant Spanish miners. So the Spanish right. miners very quickly realised how they were being used, yeah, and ended up leading the Welsh miners for better pay and conditions. So in Amazing. the end, the Welsh miners loved these Spanish miners right. because they realised that they were brothers just like they were with each other and completely embraced them. Sure, I mean, and, and, uh, you know, that's my hope that we can do that with, with all of the communities that we have in, the, in this country now because, I mean, certainly the... To, to, to blame people for... I mean, the, the people who are being blamed are... I've got worse conditions, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, this is... is a, it's, it's not it's a false it's a it's a very false argument but yeah. it's sold everywhere yeah so it's mm. it's kind of a bit scary to see how you can push back at that but i hope that, that yeah. through things like pride or through just conversations yeah, you know yeah. outside the media because yeah. i think feel like the media is a is this you know i'm not saying it's completely problematic but the media generally is is a, a big wall in, in in the way of us seeing uh who is actually to blame you know yeah yeah absolutely when you started you were an activist so when did you what what was your activism before you formed this yeah, group okay I'll, I'll, I'll take you back then <laughs> yeah uh, i was born in 1954 in a town called Accrington in lancashire yeah. 1954 interesting time to be born because you were then in the height of that post-1945 you know, landslide Labour victory of Clement Attlee's government. Right. So it was all about the welfare state. Yeah, yeah. It was common consensus, even with the Tories, that that the state should subsidise to the extent that we can provide full employment. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, and the state was really important in 1977, I think, when I was, what, 13 years old, something like that. The majority of people in this country were in a trade union, yeah, 55% of the workforce. And 80-odd percent of the workforce, its wages were determined by collective bargaining. That, no, was, those numbers have just plummeted. Yeah, so it was a very hopeful time for working class people. You know that that Attlee government had started on a massive house building program. It brought in the NHS. It made greater opportunities for working class people to to get into education. It was doing all kinds of stuff like that. And incidentally, with twice the debt that this current government's got, which gives the lie to the so-called need for austerity, because that is just a complete lie. So it was all a bit hopeful, really. And I remember as a little boy, kind of Accrington, it was a a filthy old place, you know, there was a... Dog biscuit factory, chemical works, gas works, canal with dead dogs floating in it, coal mine, mm. cotton mills, factories, and so forth. But you know, very vibrant. You know, it was a you know growing up kind of in the sixties, the Beatles were around. So, it, and working class people really were making some significant progress. Wages were better than the. They'd been for a very long time because I suppose it, that post war government it was all about trying to rebuild a land fit for heroes, you know. Right, that, that, was, the, that was the feeling that there was around then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when you first become aware of your sexuality, adolescence, maybe whatever that means. Uh, but in 1967, that's when the Sexual Offences Act came through. I don't think I ever really understood that. That, that age but that was what decriminalised homosexuality and then by 1970 so then I'd have been 16 so I left school hadn't done very well at school uh, but loved gardening and, and I knew that I wanted to study horticulture so that eventually by hook or by crook I got a place at Kew Gardens in, in near London so that brought me to the big bad city um, <laughs> And I was struggling with my homosexuality. Three times I went to see my family doctor when I was a a boy to try and get cured. But fortunately, (laughs) fortunately, I was so paranoid about that that by the time I got into the doctor to to fess up that I was queer and I wanted to be electrocuted to get rid of this terrible thing, I was still so paranoid it morphed into having a bad cold. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So fortunately... Those three attempts I had to try and get cured of my homosexuality, I just was given a prescription raspins, I think. <laughs> uh, and so there we go, leave up school at 16, move to London by the time I'm about 19. And I see in this magazine in London called Time Out these little adverts for gay switchboard a counselling service for homosexuals. And I mean, I was so paranoid about it that I'd read this on the underground and I'd hold the pages tightly together so that people couldn't possibly look over my shoulder and somehow mm. discern that I was looking at this advert that's about a quarter of an inch wide. But eventually, eventually, plucked up the courage to go to a phone box and phone up this number. And obviously, it's a long time ago now. This would have been about 1973. But thinking about it, 
I must have argued with these poor volunteers on gay switchboards saying things like, in a much stronger Lancashire accent than I've got now, saying things like, well, of course you think there's nothing wrong with it, but I think there's something wrong with it. Right, right. Because I'd absorbed. I mean, just because you're gay doesn't mean you you, you don't grow up with the same prejudices. You grow up in the same society. So I'd, I'd absorbed the mad, the sad and the bad. Mad... Well, it was still uh, a mental illness, according to the World Health Organization, right through to the early 90s, 1990s. And I'm going going back to the 70s. Sad, because that was a general kind of thing about gay people. They're all kind of um, just sad people, normally. Yeah. Uh, And bad, that's a kind of moral thing. Predators. And the predators are all paedophiles and stuff like that. And I'd absorbed a lot of it. So I, I would have been arguing in this little isolated phone box with these poor patient um, lesbian and gay switchboard volunteers. And then at some point the penny drops. And it's a bit like banging your head on a wall. When you stop, you think, oh, that's better. Right, <laughs> sure. And then I just went from just just being this depressed, you know, sad teenager into this incandescently angry, yet joyous teenager <laughs> who was at last having sex, guilt-free, yeah, and really angry about all the lies and all the stuff that I'd missed out on and I was busy catching up with. And inevitably kind of volunteered to become a volunteer on Gay Switchboard. Right, OK, yeah, I got yeah. It. So I too now was saying, it's OK to be gay to... <laughs> Little yeah. lads from Lancashire say, no, it's it works not. Nicely, yeah, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it was on the uh, gay switchboard in London uh, that I met Mark Ashton, who's the main lead character in the in the movie Pride. Mark was a, a kind of fellow lefty like me. Yeah, so I mean that the early part of my kind of teenage years and that were, were very sad really because of, because of all that homophobic stuff that I'd inter, internalised let alone the external stuff right. I mean the external stuff in some senses didn't matter because I was so closeted that no, nobody knew or at least I thought nobody knew but that doesn't really matter because the damage is, is the stuff that you internalise mm. if it's external it's external and I mean I think one of the really wicked things about those days is you weren't even allowed to speak so, for example, when I was at, at Keele University, 76 to 1980, we formed a gay switchboard for that local community, which, for people who don't know, it's Keele's in Staffordshire near the pottery stuck on Trent, places like that. The local newspaper wouldn't let us put a paid advert in their newspaper for our counselling service because they were homophobes. And we couldn't do anything about that. They had a perfect legal right to say, no, we don't take adverts from queers. And that and, and and that's it. So it's all right being able to argue, but if you're not even given a voice to argue, right. that's that's really oppressive because you can, anyway we occupied their offices, <laughs> <laughs> stormed and made a fuss. But that was often the case that somehow homosexuals were just ignored and invisibilized and just you're not allowed to speak about it just end of you're just not allowed to speak about it and that's that's what in a sense that's how we became militant because we just insisted on being heard you know you just have to shout until you get heard you know? and i'm sure that's you know people from other oppressed groups will identify with that one too i mean you have to keep shouting until your voice heard whether you're from 
Bangladesh women's movement from Trinidad from wherever do you know what I mean you just need to keep shouting until your voice gets heard and you actually right you know gain your rightful place as a citizen so you were involved with with gay and lesbian activism I mean had you were you also like so you were left-wing like by inclination of your upbringing yeah, and the experience yeah. that you'd had well w- what happened to me I mean as soon as I came out I I, I, I all of the forms of oppression suddenly fitted into place. So I, I just thought, right, I kind of understand what black people are going through, I understand what you know, women are going through, etc. So it, for me, it, it, a lot of stuff just slotted into place. What was unexpected for me was uh, I quickly found out that that's not the case for everybody. And I found racism and sexism rife within the gay community. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and it's what I call the pyramid syndrome. It's like, well, I might be queer, but at least I'm not black. Right. You know, it's that again. It's that divide mm-hmm. and rule mentality that people have internalised. You know, and so whenever I, I can, I will just always counter that within the gay community because it's so stupid and it's ultimately so self-destructive. Do you know what I mean? Well, and, and I guess that the the issue as well is that there can even be a divide. For, you know, from from gay and, and lesbian, because, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, as a, as a man, once once you get rid of people being homophobic towards you, you have more privilege than than a lesbian who gets rid of that and still is treated like a woman, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Lesbians are doubly oppressed. Black lesbians triply oppressed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think there's still a lot of work to be done within the LGBT community, and most people acknowledge this to actually address all that intersectional stuff. Right, I mean, and the T the tea part of that community is, is probably the, the one that, that gets yeah. the, the most yeah. Yeah. Uh, oppression and problems from the other the other yeah. parts of that community. And, I mean, it's got, I, I don't know, there's there's it's, it's there's even more communities than that as well. It's, uh, yes, there's, you know, QI and, and, yeah. and all of these other, yeah. other, other initials, which, you know, people laugh at, but they're all legitimate people trying to be heard and, and yes, treated absolutely. with equality. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, homosexuality, any of these LGBTQI, indeed, will always be minorities. That that I think we can we can safely say that that every indication is that's going to be the case. But there's a playwright, Jonathan Harvey, who wrote Beautiful Thing, oh, lovely yeah, movie, right. yeah, and he's yeah. also he's written for Coronation Street and so forth. He wrote a play called Canaries. And it was on at the Hampstead Theatre a couple of years ago. And it was looking at, at kind of the emergence of kind of gay communities in the 50s, the 80s, and, and, and in contemporary times. And it, he used the analogy of canaries, as in canaries in a cage down the pit, because the canaries were used as an indicator of toxic gases in the pit. And so if the canary fell off its perch, you knew you had to scarbro that pit yeah. pretty quickly. And he used that, he borrowed that as an analogy. And really what he was saying was how any society treats its LGBT section at any moment in time is a measure for the general of the general health of that society. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could arguably say that in Britain at the moment, British culture is... is largely accepting of, of that LGBT community. We've, indeed, we've got protective legislation now. Well, apart from the T. Yeah, know, yeah. Did, so the yeah. Equal oh, Marriage, sure. no, the no, equal I'm not, marriage I'm not. Bill, like, yeah. it did not include uh, 
transsexuals of yeah. transgendered yeah. absolutely no I'm not, I'm not I'm not I'm not no sure no no yeah. uh, but you look at somewhere like Russia right and you know yeah. you've got you've got a really kind of appalling attitude to, to LGBT culture and there's a lot more going on in, in Russia as well do you know what I mean and, and you've got people like Putin who are ultra, you know ultra macho um, and it's that again it's a kind of diversionary thing that you know like like look at the queers attack them and it, it will distract people from what the real issues are right. what the real power struggles right, right, are right. In, in Russia and uh, so unfortunately we'll, because we'll always be in a minority at, at any point in history we'll always, always be subject and there are other groups that, that will suffer like this will always be subject to, to being picked on if things change do you yeah. know what I, mean? I suppose you know, well don't yeah I mean there's an interesting thing there I think in terms of with in terms of sexuality I don't think it really exists in some of the other ways that people are oppressed but yeah. I think I feel like I've, I'm a big believer in the idea that the heterosexual community needs to come out as well that that half of the problem is uh, that there is a massive diversity in the way that heterosexual people uh, organize their relationships and their sexualities yeah, yeah. there are asexual yeah. uh, heterosexuals if you if yeah. for, for yeah. want of a better yeah. better word there are you know people like myself and my partner we have a uh, an open relationship there's people who have like you know as the gay communities yeah. have always had right yeah. these diversities of different ways of of, of structuring your life yeah. and the, the approach to your life and I feel like there's a load of people pretending that they're really normal like yeah. pretending that they're whatever normal means yeah. and actually if you scratch the surface yeah. though the gay community is still going to be a minority group people who have different approaches to sexualities are probably are, are right across yes, everyone yes, and if yeah, and if we yeah. actually just like you know if people stopped just just as all closet situations is if, if people are afraid to reveal in public yeah. that they have a different approach to, to to things or that you know they you know kinks or whatever yeah. stuff that i'm that i know about but i'm not particularly into but i support and and and, and I think that that's the thing that the, the, the heterosexual community likes to think of of ourselves as as as, as sort of pro- proper. You know, we we do yeah, sex proper yeah. properly, uh, <coughs> and everybody else. You know, these these minority groups are sort of deviants. Well, no, nobody nobody does sex properly. Everyone does it very differently. I mean, there's, yeah, of yeah, course, there's yeah, some yeah. areas. You know, consent is very important. You know, yeah. and 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 stuff like that. But apart from that. You know, really, we've got no business being interested in what's going on yeah. in each other's bedrooms. But I think conversely, like the way you get rid of that prejudice is almost to reveal. Yes. So once we've yeah. all revealed yeah. what we do, yeah. Yeah. then we can just get on. With yeah, because it. it's, so it's, yeah. It's, it's, Not to say I'm, I'm, I would never say anyone should come out against, you know, like pressurise people in that no, respect. No, because I feel like it's it's such a complicated yeah. issue. I would, yeah. you know, but, but certainly... Straight people should definitely come out. Like, there's there's less reasons for straight people to stay in their closet about their their sexualities than yeah. there are for yeah. oppressed groups, right? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, and it's I suppose you know if you bring in about change, then consciousness is part of that change, right. and so you have to have a change in consciousness. But uh, you know what's really important is that thing about solidarity. You know, it's really important for for straight people to embrace LGBT, the LGBT community as part of the same community. It's just a human race and right. love, do you know what I mean? And, I think, right. and we've all got little shifts of differences mm. here and there. But what unites us is far bigger and more important than what, what makes us differ from each right. other. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think everybody's liberation, right, uh, is everybody's liberation. So the the more we we we, the, I'm not, like, like I say, like <coughs> I, w- I was bullied at school for not being, you know, the, the heteronormative model of of masculinity. Yeah. Uh, loads of loads of men pass, but don't feel that like, but 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 yeah. don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. If we can liberate, like. But by liberating the minority groups, hopefully we, we liberate, you know, w- white straight men who, yeah. who, who've got yeah. feelings they can't express. Or, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not yeah. saying that that's as important as the oppression that's going on. Yeah. Like that there's a, you know, that I'm not saying that the white male experience, like for su- suddenly we can go like white straight, straight men are as oppressed as any other group. But yeah. I think they are by the, the culture. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they are yeah, a bit yeah. oppressed. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's the oppression oppresses everybody. Right. Really. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know that's the that's the thing. The solidarity uh, element is is the, the the one of the things that again drew me to focus E fifteen and drew, drew draws me to to the to the movie Pride. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's tricky solidarity because people you know people can blunder in. Yes, yeah. <laughs> trying to be supportive, trying to be allies, not fully understanding what they do, what they say, where yeah. their position is themselves. Yeah, but it's necessary trickiness. The awkwardness passes, I hope. Yeah, and <laughs> and we have to be brave enough to speak out and um and, and be given enough slack and leeway to speak out, you know, so that if people make mistakes, everybody else around them should realise, well, actually, this is a mistake because this person's ignorant and the only way they're going to learn is for actually for them to speak about things and, and to be put right. You know, and I think sometimes, and I'm as guilty of this as, as, as anybody else is, we, we, we're pussyfooting because we don't want to offend mm-hmm. people. And that's just sometimes to the extent that we don't even speak because we, we're frightened of offending people. Well, we need to just... We get need to get out. over the, yeah. that, and and people say, "Look, just say what you want. You're obviously here with good intention. You're here to support, and so don't be frightened about putting your foot in it." You know, um, and, and it's true with words. I mean, like, you know, I, sometimes I've felt that that you know, middle class people have put down working class people for using inappropriate words. But actually, they're just as guilty of oppressing that working class person. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, I'd rather some bloke call me queer because that's what he calls people like me, but without malice. Right. Because that's what and, I've and seen I, in the world. And I've, class I've had that. Yeah, I've had yeah, yeah. that. And there's no way I would dream of saying, oh, excuse me, would you mind calling me a gay? Right. Sod off. If he wants to call me queer and he's not doing it with malice, it's just that that's his word for it what on earth is the difference as always with these things it's about who's saying what to who in what context and that's what matters and just because that kind of working class man isn't using the politically correct term what's the sentiment behind what he's saying what and that's the important thing so sometimes i think you have to kind of bite your lip a bit really in terms of using the exact correct terminology because you, you're missing the, the point. What really matters is what what's the meaning behind what people are saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a... a yeah, the two. You obviously. know, it's a complicated issue yeah, and I yeah. do believe in changing changing language you yeah, know but I, but I do think that that changing language is a process and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to unlearn. So, like, I learnt 
bad like bad words yeah, yeah. Uh, at school yeah. um and i don't use them anymore but it's a it's a constant process yes. and and I, I certainly try not to judge anybody for using those words and like you say i've seen that the, some of the most supportive members of the working class community that i spent a lot of time with mm. growing up uh, towards the the lgbt community were using all the wrong words yeah. to express that support yeah. yes you know to, to express that you know defending people using all the wrong words yeah, yeah. and you know and, so what you know and, 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 and also, they were defending them uh, absolutely and ultimately like we invented the word gay but actually very quickly it became a term of abuse because right. ultimately you you can't just by using a word you can't you can't outmaneuver the fact that you're in a minority group and right. so very within just a few short years i was hearing kind of kids aged you know eight ten in the street using gay as a pejorative term and right. I, I just said well that proves it all really I mean it, it, it well the same thing happened I mean uh, so some ableist words were discouraged in uh, you know that were used in my my childhood but now people use the word special needs uh, yeah. to mean the same thing that they did to you using those other yes, offensive yeah, words yeah. so it is about we have to change the the, the attitude behind these words yes yeah. um and and you know yeah. the queer is a very interesting word in that obviously now it's been reclaimed by uh sort of slightly different people than it was originally used to, yes. to criticize yeah. Yeah. and i think that within the lgbtqi community as far as i understand it you, you do get people who've experienced the oppression of your generation who find that word very problematic yeah. uh, but you've got younger people now using that word in a very positive way yeah i mean yeah. all i know is that's not a word that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use that word to offend anybody as someone who isn't any yeah. of that community. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. you know, I will use the word queer to describe the modern concept yes. of queer. Yeah. Um, but, but I wouldn't, I would not use it in the, the old fashioned sort of sense. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it is, it is complicated. Yeah. But I hope that, 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 you know, I, I mean, I know what you mean in terms of being afraid of, of using words. Mm. Um, mm. And I really think that, that but that's another thing i think that for people like me who have all the privileges in theory right um we need to understand that uh the anger uh that people have is reasonable right and so if people react angrily to our trying to be you know our ineffectiveness yeah. it's kind of like the thing is like well the anger is reasonable sure i wasn't meaning anything by it so it's for me to go away and come back and say sorry you know yeah. do you know what i mean it's, yeah, yeah. it's not for me yeah. to sort of say well you can't have that opinion it's for me to go right you've got that opinion i can see why you know take a step back you know not yes. you know yeah. that, but yeah. but yeah, yeah. so yeah. interest which so interestingly the second question that i ask everybody which i often do much earlier than this but mm. the, com the conversation's been flowing is what do you do now so we've kind of come come through your sort of like your your early years into the into your activism years i mean yeah what do you do now um well it's been very interesting the the, the, the movies just just had a, a fantastic effect we kind of hoped it might and it certainly is having a great effect we've had Loads of people, particularly young people, just trying to track us down to make contacts, saying, you know, I want to get engaged in politics. That that movie's inspired me. What what do I do? How do I go about it? Wow. Um, I mean, we, we were in a pub the other week with uh, our LGSM repro T-shirts on, 
And these two young women came up to us and said, wow, wow, where can we buy that T-shirt? Who are you? When we told them who we, we were, they were like kind of going, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and one of the women said she'd seen Pride on the Monday and on by the Wednesday she'd joined Unite, the union. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. That, that's exactly what we want. You know. So we've, we've reformed, possibly only for 12 months or so, but just to address that, to get this kind of... LGSM Legacy website up and running and to fundraise I don't want to do a spoiler for the movie but there's a certain uh, fund for somebody who died uh, that lingered at about 2,000 quid for years and years and years since the movie's come out that shot up to nearly 14,000 quid oh, wow. you know and that's yeah. people seeing the movie and just identifying so we also see that we've got kind of uh, fundraising opportunities on the on the back of the movie one of the things that we're thinking about doing do you remember the um soma mining disaster in turkey earlier this year right yes 301 miners killed yes. well gethin uh who's another character in the movie he has lgdb t- contacts in turkey so what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise funds conduit it through the turkish lgbt group to the bereaved families in Soma, and then everybody wins. Do you know what I mean? The the the, the families get some some money to help them get on with projects, and the LGBT community benefits to some extent as, as well. So that's all quite exciting, really. Mm. Uh, and then in a year's time, we'll see what happens after then. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so. So, and the the, uh, the the last question I ask people is is Do you have anything to plug? And we're sort of already already there in a way. How can people find find this 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 stuff? At the moment, things are very kind of nascent. So, at the moment, we've got a Twitter page which is uh, LGSM Pride. Right. Yeah. Um, we will be having our own web presence. Um, and we're going to be setting up a Facebook page which will be called LGSM 2014. And are you looking for people to help you with some of this internet stuff? If there's anyone listening, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah. you know, I, I, I imagine you're all of a similar gen- generation, and yeah. so there yeah. might be some some young, young, younger people who are like what they call them digital natives. I'm not a digital native, but, <laughs> you know, you might not be able to offer some some solidarity through web websites. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and, and that's definitely the way to. to to go yeah yeah cool well i mean it's been a real pleasure getting getting better acquainted with you, uh, Thank you. and yeah i mean uh it's it's it's, it's like it's, i still am a little bit sort of starstruck like <laughs> just by the fact that you know you're just someone from that film uh, but you, and, you know that and that's 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 that strange thing of you know real people and fictional people and yeah, all yeah, that stuff's yeah. blurred in my head so uh, but it's been a it's been a great pleasure getting better acquainted with you and the last thing i ask my guests to do uh, is to say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience and thank you for listening take care and keep up the struggle we'll win in the end wow you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at uva podcast you can find it on facebook Getting Better Acquainted, have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.